Working across national boundaries and with multicultural groups is a skilled activity. Some of the required skills are learned through experience and study, but others are more innate. In this podcast, we'll break down the ways that multinational organisations are measuring these skills. Surveys of senior executives show that nine in ten of them consider cross-cultural leadership to be one of the biggest management challenges of this century. Around a third of all managers sent on foreign assignments end them early at huge costs to their organisations. The reason given is often not a lack of job skill, but failure to adjust culturally. Chris Early, Sue Nang and colleagues have developed measures of what they call cultural intelligence, measured by a cultural intelligence quotient, or CQ score. The higher your CQ, the more capable you are of functioning effectively in culturally diverse settings. The CQS breaks this down into four different aspects. The first is metacognitive cultural intelligence and concerns your awareness and sensitivity to culture during interactions with those from different cultural backgrounds. Heather Henry works with multicultural community groups in Coventry in the UK. Here, she describes how high metacognitive CQ manifests itself in community relations. One of the issues that uh, the residents have come together around has been around the swimming pool and the potential closure of the swimming pool. And particularly a group of white men, it seems, have come together to raise a petition and have talked about issues in relation to South Asian women being able to access women-only swimming sessions. And that just shows the level of, of integration that they are thinking about each other. The next measure is cognitive CQ. This comprises your knowledge of norms, practices and conventions in different cultural settings. My name is Ngayogunyat. It's a Zulu name, uh, hence the click. People can't believe it, that that's actually your name. You know, they're like, how do you say that? And how do you spell it, you know, to begin with? How do you spell a click? My colleague at the Open University, Dr. Eru Nayethi, hails from a South African culture which treats its elders in a way you might not expect coming from a Western background. You know, age plays a significant part. So even if one is young and you are the boss, the way that you would address and speak to that workforce, you know, has to take into account that this person is someone who is older than you. And that has brought in different pressures, challenges in terms of how do you motivate and challenge and tell off people who are the same age as your father. And what's here in the West, that doesn't seem to, to matter. The virtue of your position gives you the authority to to carry out whatever, and people respect that. So they don't see age. In Africa, that is one of the challenges that are thrown into the world of work. And it's by being aware of this cultural difference that you're able to change your behaviour as a manager. One of the ways around that is knowing that like, you don't call elders by their first name, you call them by their surname. One of the biggest examples, Nelson Mandela, you would not address him as Nelson, you would call him Mandela or Madiba, the, the, the clan name. So that's how you address him, and that's giving him the respect. So that's one example of how you, you go around that, and you know, just being polite and not shout or scream at them. Which, which raises interesting challenges because you think, so how do you let off steam or how do you let them know how you feel and how do you deal with those kind of um, uh, emotions in an African setting or context? 
Your ability to behave appropriately in both verbal and non-verbal ways when interacting with those from different cultural backgrounds is measured by the third CQ, Behavioural Cultural Intelligence. Retired British diplomat Sarima Jones-Parry describes how behaviour can make or break a deal. People do have different approaches, there's no question about that. And some of it is, is the way individuals actually confront each other. I've used the verb confront on purpose. Sometimes um, an approach can be interpreted by the other side as being very confrontational, and all you've done is spoken fairly frankly and honestly. No in intent actually to be offensive, but interpreted by the other side as being very offensive. Um, the Asian approach to doing business, really quite different. Um, the Asian model doesn't presume that you will be full, brutal, frank, upfront, because that's not the way they do business. That's considered a discourtesy. So if you're going into a discussion in that sort of environment, then you better take account of that. My name is Janice Bell, and I am an IT outsourcing consultant. One of the things that mattered very much to the Indian team was pleasing people, getting things right, and being recognised for getting things right. And sometimes there, there was perhaps a, a little bit of a tendency for people to be too eager to please, to say, yes, I can do that, when maybe not all the resources were in place. And we had to spend time ensuring that, that both sides understood what was important and what was important was not just making the commitment that something would be done but actually being able to get it done. The team at first felt that the most important thing was always to say yes it can be done so we were able to change the basis of that transaction to get the Indian team much more into making commitments on the basis of what had to be put in place rather than on the desire to get it done. Has that experience changed your own approach to management? I think it's made me aware that the way I approach something from my culture is not the way that everybody I work with may do so. The final CQ is motivational cultural intelligence. The good news is if you're listening to this podcast, then you probably score reasonably highly on this measure. It tests your confidence in and motivation to direct attention and energy towards cultural differences. The value of having motivated individuals across the business community, learning and taking an interest in other cultures, is that a kind of international common business language is starting to emerge, as Maggie Miller explains. The business school courses, creating a common language, help you engage with other cultures. Once you have that common language, it's far easier then to learn to appreciate other cultures, get the best from other cultures and learn from them. And certainly it's been a delight for me working in the US where I've been able to take teams of people to India, for example, and see people who may not have fully appreciated that culture and who may have been hesitant in, in um, working closely with an Asian culture. When I've been able to make the introductions and have them understand how much they had in common, it's been a delight for me to be able to see those people who had started off a little hostile or a little hesitant or a little uncertain really start to appreciate that other culture, appreciate the talent and skills, the depth and breadth of skills that were, were available 
and learn to embrace another culture, but all based on a, a common business language that um, I was able to help them to, to develop because of the, the learnings I'd gained from, from the business school education. I want to finish by talking about an important but often overlooked set of skills for international managers, managing our identities. Our sense of who we are varies with the context we find ourselves in. I play roles at various times as father, husband, son, teacher, researcher, boss and so on. In each role I behave differently and interact with the world and other people differently, quite rightly too. The manager who comes home and tells their spouse that, darling, it's time for your annual appraisal, may trigger unpleasant reactions. Most of the time, though, we move between these different aspects of our identities seamlessly and without noticing. We're well-practised in these roles and managing transitions between them. However, places in unfamiliar circumstances, and we may struggle to develop a clear sense of our place and identity in the new situation. This is particularly true when our assumptions and expectations are overturned, as may happen, for example, to an English manager working for the first time in Germany, or a Japanese manager moving to the USA. In each case, they may have a sense of the kind of manager they are which works well in their former setting and which is now at odds with the expectations of the people around them. Developing resilience in the face of such demands on your sense of who you are is an important developmental task for international managers. Equally, those managing international teams in their own country need to understand the strains their team members may be facing. The skill of managing multiple facets of your identity in different settings is not only important for reducing the stress of such experiences. Managers who have the ability to manage successful identities in multiple cultural settings are often a vital resource to multinational firms for moving and translating ideas around an organisation. These kind of skills take time and real practice to develop. They can't be delivered just in a course and certainly not in a podcast. But I hope these podcasts have served to open up possibilities. The Open University. For more information, go to www.open.edu forward slash iTunes U.